Hey, welcome to Suggested Donations. I'm Tony Serenai. I'm Edward Minoff. We sat down with uh, Jacob Collins, who is our teacher, mentor, and a very close friend. Enjoy. Please enjoy. Well, hey, Jacob. How are you? Good, good. Hey, Thanks uh, for coming uh, here. Hey, Tony. Hey, Ted. Hey. Do you know the first time I met you, um, I was, we were at the... This is at the National Academy. We signed up for your class for like a month. So I met, I, we went in and... It was a, a, a week-long class, I think, or was it, it was might have been. been twice a week or something, but I know that the first day... You were teaching day, it with Grimaldi. Okay. With uh, Michael Grimaldi, and then you, um, you weren't there the first day, so Ted and I sat down, we got our, our, our place, and we started drawing, and we were you know, working hard and blah, 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 getting really into it. And then the, and we taped up spectacular drawings, by the way. Amazing drawings. And then we, the next day, uh, or the next session... Uh, went back to my, my, where I was sitting and there was this guy there drawing really kind of number two pencils and typewriter paper. Yeah. Just like going nuts. (laughs) And I'm like, uh, excuse me. Uh, you're in my seat Okay, and got out and then whatever the session started, I'm drawing. And then, uh, in the back of my head, like right in my ear, you're like, well, you know, you should start looking at the proportion. I'm like, Oh my God, that was Jacob Collins. I just told Jacob Collins to get out of my seat. That's how I first met you, Jake. I was was very embarrassed. That's funny. So you grew up in the city. Yeah. Born and raised. I grew up, yeah, totally in New York, and everybody's been New York in my family, all New York. And I, my whole life. I never left, never went anywhere. I went to Brooklyn for about a decade. That's when we, when Ted and I (laughs) met you, you were were in Brooklyn. Yeah. But you raised in New York, went to school in New York. Mm -hmm. You know, were you, were you drawing and painting in, in high school and middle school? How mm-hmm. did you get into, the, you know, every, I hear, I talked to Well, artists. you had, I mean, I remember you saying that you had a teacher at Dalton who was really influential. I did, I did, and he was wonderful, yeah. Um, his name was Aaron Curzon, uh, and he was a, an old-time, uh, you know, kind of a mid-century American artist who grew up in... Uh, uh, Twin Cities, uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis, where he had had some old teachers who had maybe, I think, studied in Chicago in the like 1900 with people like Vanderpoel. I mean, he was coming out of that, so he had this wonderful, uh, very, very beautiful, confident drawing hand. Now, the guy Aaron, my teacher, uh, and his teachers, uh, well, he was very much sort of a committed to. Uh, sort of a modernist culture and sensibility. I mean, it's very much his era, I think, 40s and 50s. And even his teachers as well had were very involved, and they had, I think, been connected to the world of, you know, Cubists and New York uh, modernism in the 30s. And then they went back and influenced him. So he had this funny combination of being an old-fashioned uh, modernist, like Paris school modernism, and underneath it, he had like the drawing tradition of, you know, the academic Beaux Arts tradition that the Americans of the previous generation, or two, even two generations before, had brought back when they came home in the 1870s and 80s. Did he talk about that a lot? No. Did he I, complain it, about like where things were going? Because it seems like he he, he, he had... didn't have a lot of complaints. Mm. He he was a very uh, uh, you know positive person and he was he was very I mean almost maybe a 
um, philosophically uh, committed to open-mindedness and he was interested in all the different things and he liked all different things and maybe he thought maybe some things were excessive or a little silly but he didn't not the kind of guy you'd see like grinding his teeth with outrage <laughs> because something had passed him by or people no longer did the right thing he wasn't so, bitter about what he's was one, of, one of the least bitter guys and his work was so pretty like bitter. abstract expressionist he did all e. kinds of things he he did beautiful realistic paintings which were usually a little bit surrealistic he made lovely sculptures kind of realist sculptures that also were a little bit surreal uh, he made sort of found object assemblages that were often a little bit witty, like sort of a little bit funny. And uh, when I was, when he was a rel kind of older, when I was starting out, he was making kind of these assemblages out of found things uh, and then combining them with, you know, holog holograms. And so he, he would, there were these sort of strange... Sounds pretty high tech. He was doing things. Hologram. It was like in the late 70s. So yeah. It was a little bit... So they were sort of like... Did you need it was to a eat little, any mushrooms to yeah. see the holograms? Yeah, it felt like that a little <laughs> was bit. Was it Princess Leia saying, yeah, Obi-Wan, right. you're looked, our only holograms? It looked a little bit, had that Princess Leia look. So there would be some strange <laughs> kind of metal thing that he put together that was... And then in the middle, if you peeped through or on the top of it, there would be a, a kind of a... Like Princess Leia, like a kind of a beautiful yeah. woman that was mysterious. It was, it was fun. Now, did he... What, did he... When you came to, to, when you were studying there, taking mm -hmm. art classes there, did he just sort of see that you had a very strong desire to do a certain thing, or did he actually believe that there was a foundation that and we had this thing? My, my brother had him first. My, my brother had him. We've all had him. <laughs> <laughs> and, so your brother had him first. Okay. And and my he was my brother was very talented uh, as a draftsman and mis, uh, and. Mr. Curzon was very enthusiastic, and, and Mr. Curzon remembers that he had, uh, my brother had said, oh, yeah, but wait till you meet my little brother. And so... Your little Collins, I've been waiting for yeah. you. So then, then I... Your Rufus's little brother. You look just <laughs> like him. <laughs> you guys look a lot alike. So I show up, and, and, and I had already been aware because... My brother had made these beautiful cast drawings. He had this thing. So he, he, he had was doing cast drawings? Yeah, but they, they, he, they, he had like, uh, you know, like the Michelangelo features, the nose, the mouth, the eye. He had a head of the dying slave. He had this other one, which I've not seen since then, the exact, it was like a plain head. It was like a mannequin head, but with planes, yeah. Now, did, it was nice and simple. Was that stuff that Dalton had that he picked up on? No, no, or was he it, brought it. He, so he brought that from his he, Minnesota. Yes. Kind of so then he his his sort of pedagogy was trying to combine um, this, which he got from. I mean, years later, I I kind of tried to reassemble what might have been the backstory, and. Uh, there was this, you know, that he, that I sort of started to Google his old teachers. Uh, and what I knew most about them originally was that they, that his enthusiasm was that they were part of that generation that brought modernism like into America, into the Midwest. And uh, they were influenced by people like, uh, um, uh, you know, Hans Hoffman, uh, you know, and there was a, a person who was actually a mentor and a friend of, of my, of Aaron Curzon, whose name was Vaclav Vitlichel, who was uh, an associate of Matisse, and he was, a, he was connected to 
uh, Hans Hoffmann. I think it might have been Wittlitschel who first might have been, I'm not, I might, be, might not be remembering this, who first brought uh, ha, uh, Hans Hoffmann to this country. And of course Hoffmann was the, became then the kind of nucleus of this world uh, of the New York scene that turned into New York School Abstract Expressionism. And they all looked to him, he was the, although he never became like the, the gigantic sort of media star, he, he was the kind of, he had the you know, eminence, grease uh, uh, quality that they all look to yeah. as. Because he had a fancy, he has a wonderful European accent, and he knew all the <laughs> accents called. Well, I mean, this I was, but, you know, pre-war. Pre-war America, and they were very, it was, he was dazzling. I think he was probably very sophisticated, I mean, for what that means, I don't know, but he was a very, he knew and read and had seen the opera, and maybe not everybody had. And so, but anyway, these guys came out of that world. He goes to the opera. <laughs> and He's a learned man. He, he wears his conditioner on his hair. He went back to, and then so my teacher was influenced by them. But then the, the underlying uh, quality, the thing that was most interesting to me was this other thing that was underneath all of that. So Aaron was trying to combine this underneath thing, which ha some part of him felt like that's the thing I need to be teaching these kids. So he taught a lot of stuff, but he made everybody do the drawing one. He spent all a year making these charcoal drawings of the, the features. And, you had to, and he did this interesting thing where he drew plain lines, or he painted little black lines where he decided you might say that you should conceive of one plane starting and another one start, stopping. So they looked like strange... They like looked geometric. Like geom and, we, and they immediately looked like a kind of a piece of modern sculpture, you know, like with a black and white, you know. Um, so he, he was trying to bridge that. But when you were saying you were, you were interested in this sort of underlying thing. Which was the old drawing thing, yeah, which was, what, what, how do you draw so well? Yeah. Because that was what I had already, when I was a little kid, I was just trying to draw, like all of us. I, I, when I was seven, eight, nine, I would try this and I would try to draw that. Were you like checking out comic books? No, or it was, like like yeah, Spider-Man yeah. and, then, and then like battle scenes and like dive bombers and, you know, Spanish galleons or whatever different, you know, roving enthusiasms that all little kids have. They go from one thing so to the next. So you recognized that there was a difference between like good drawing and bad drawing and that when you saw that he had this underlying thing that you were like, how do you do that? I want to well, know how to do that. Well, it wasn't, it was just that, it, yeah, I mean, it felt like he, he had a great deal of uh, conviction. I mean, he was a very, uh, I mean, like I said, he was a tremendously open guy. He didn't have, bring any narrowness, but he really believed he had. He just had the sense of these are things about drawing, and he he you know he he would he had that thing which I've always tried to bring, which is to try to make the teaching something that you prove to yourself. So rather than say uh, this is this this way, he'll tell you what if you look at you know can you he would do this funny thing where he'd have this six foot ruler and he would go around with a three foot ruler. And I think it was really, you know, it was a six foot ruler and he would, he would and dangle it and he would come over to the model and he would, he would be in your spot. And then he would say, okay, I want you to sit in your spot and look at the model. Now, I'm gonna take this ruler and I'm gonna dangle it and I'm gonna bring it across from the left. Now, I want you to tell me, and meanwhile you're knowing exactly, you look at your drawing quickly and you look at the model and you're like, oh no. And then you still have to listen to him because you have to respect him <laughs> As he to go through the whole rigmarole. So he says, okay, now I want you to tell me, what model. does the ruler touch first? The model's 
forehead or the model's knee? Now I'm going to bring it across. Is it still dangling? Is it still, is it still vertical? <laughs> you say, yes, Mr. Chris. <laughs> and he brings it across. And then finally, you, and you're like, you have to wait. And is it touching either one yet? And you're like, no, it's going to be yes. the knee, Mr. Chris. And then I put it the forehead. So, and then he comes back and he says, no. And, and so that's the kind of indelible thing where you're, it's not like he tells you to do He's it He's shamed you into yeah. never well, also, making the knee stick out farther if, than the forehead. No, but if you're like me, you're so contrary that if a person tells you to do something, you're immediately trying to figure out why it probably is the opposite. You're just right. telling me that. Yeah. Whereas he's not telling you what to do. He's only he's saying, saying right. he's saying here, what do you, and then you're like looking at the thing and you're looking at your drawing and you're like, well, if I'm going to be contradicting somebody, obviously I have to contradict myself because here I am doing a boneheaded thing and not bothering to look. So that was great. So he had you drawing from the model. So we were drawing. The, school. We, we, the, first, the first class was, if I remember correctly, we would have to draw with those features and one and then another and then another. And they weren't like, you sp we weren't supposed to take a very long time because you're young, you know. It wasn't like, you know. And you were in there all day, it was a class. These, it was like a, maybe a 50 minute yeah. class. And so you would, you had to do one and you had to see the shapes and you had to see the, you know, try to see it in three dimensions. And, and then you'd have to do the head he named George and you had to draw George in different angles. Uh, and it was nice because of the fact that it had these planes drawn on it. There was black and white lines. It, it necessitated. I mean, it, it naturally led you to see shapes to be able to see that you could, if you. So that seeing abstractly, kind of flatly and abstractly, right. was sort of right, that right there some, at the beginning. And the reason he liked that so much, the flatness, was because he was so interested in cubism, which later on I started to think that cubism, although I don't really like it very much. Uh, I started to, I recognized when I started to think about what it was, it was, it was what ha was filling the heads of a handful of 19, 22 year olds after they had sort of finished art school, which is here's some flat shapes, try to see the world in flat shapes. So their teachers probably hadn't been trying to make a amalgamation of modern and traditional, but nonetheless, there, that was a big part of the tradition that they came out of. I mean, that was just something I figured was probably the case. In, in my starting out, I was, I was, he, he really wanted to make flat shapes, because so much of the tradition he was part of was the idea that the canvas, you need to respect the flatness, and it's all sort of 20th century ideology of, of modernism. It's like the flat, the picture plane has to be respected, you know, so you can't destroy the picture plane, and you have to make shapes, and you have to see flat shapes, and you have to... So I got a big dose of that, and then... Uh, but what I was interested in more than, more than a kind of ideological position, like an art, art theory, was that it was a really great kind of a method to be able to draw things well, which is what I had been trying to do when I was trying to draw Spider-Man. Although it's a very, I mean, methodolog methodologically, of course, it's totally different than drawing the Marvel way, which is, of course, three-dimensional construction. So even at, at 15 or 16, I was getting this kind of dose of... Uh, uh, you know, this bifurcated sensibility of either construct, three-dimensional construction on the one hand and two-dimensional shape building on the other and trying to put those together. So, and that continued neat. all the way through high school. So then, oh, so then you went through, then you had to draw George, and then there was a nice thing where you had every kid in the class would pose for a portrait, and then, so maybe, I don't know what it was, like 17 kids or something, and then you'd, each class you'd rotate it's so funny. This is like exactly like Water Street. This is like yeah. exactly what, like when Tony right. and I were studying with you in Brooklyn, like we were doing casts at first mm -hmm. and then we were all posing for each other yeah. for portraits. Yep. It's, so it's exactly yeah. what I never yeah. got and didn't even know existed in mm -hmm. high school. 
Like yeah. I, the, the so, fact yeah. that I wasn't it was nice. exposed to anything yeah. like that. It was an amazing thing. It's jealous. in high school. Then we had life drawing. So there was a three hour life. You could, if you sort of got in it, you could have life drawing, which would start at like two. You missed your last class of the day and it would go until six or four hours. This amazing wow. class. Was and really one long. pose or did No, 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 no it would be all short. It was all very much right. like Five fives, gestures. tens. Yeah. It would be and then the five, 20 tens, minute is the 20s. And then sometimes the when it was really feeling like we're really going to do super careful stuff, we'll do put together two 20s and do a 40. A 40 and that right. felt like a really, really long pose. Was there any, I mean, as far as your classmates, was there anybody that you felt um, was starting to take it seriously? No, there was a lot of talented kids. It was like a little thing. It was a little culture, you know. The, like chess the, club. It was something. like that, yeah. And he was, he really had a lot of people, you know, there was a lot of people who are artists out there who, who were, you know, he was their original teacher. And he had, you know, he had a tremendous kind of, people respected him a lot. That's yeah. pretty amazing that a high school teacher had that kind of influence. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of people who weren't artists, who didn't become artists, who also felt like he was. I mean, he had this marvelously... He really, really knew stuff too. He knew art history. Probably, I don't know if I've met even now people who really know it in that deep way, really better than him. The funny thing is, he had always taught art history at the school, and because he didn't, I don't think he—he he never had a college degree, so they made him stop teaching art history. There's <laughs> <laughs> this guy who's like, he knows like gonna, everything. I know. And, I mean, yeah. he would know third, fourth, fifth <laughs> tier, sixteenth yeah. century, you know, Flemish artists. <laughs> yeah, but if you don't have a piece of paper, I'm sorry. I know. So then they had to not have that. It's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but so, I mean, you benefited from yeah, it, I guess. Did, yeah. So from that, did you feel like those those times in high school that you wanted? Did you know you wanted to pursue art? Yeah, was it I, something that you were like, I want to be an artist. That was what was I always, later? yeah, I wanted that always. Yeah. Did you give up on it in college because you were a history major in college? No, weren't you? yeah, I was a history major. I didn't give up on it. I, I went to, um, I went to college, partially because, I mean, I did have this idea from some time way back in there that I wanted to be like, an old-fashioned artist you know, Rembrandt or something, that Michelangelo, I had that, I had those, you know, reproductions on the wall in my room. And you I were was... watching like the agony and the ecstasy <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> is it going to be bad? <laughs> if Why the wine is sour, pour it out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I was looking to do. And, uh, but I didn't know, I had this funny thing that, that, uh, um, I mean, I think in that era, this was, you know, 1970s, 80, 81, uh, 82 was when I finished high school, and I and I a lot of people around me told me that uh, uh, that what I wanted to do, like painting, didn't exist. That it was totally it, it had vanished in some like really really long time ago, like thousands of years ago. I had that experience. <laughs> people had yeah. forgotten how right. to draw, <laughs> and that there wasn't anyone who knew how like to do Visigoths anything. Right? Inhabiting like a Roman, and that if I if I wanted to. Um, I was going to have to teach myself. That was what, even though, and the thing is, even though clearly I had been learning all this stuff from Aaron, he, he didn't present it as if it was some kind of ancient thing. And he didn't, he didn't care. It was fascinating. He didn't, he didn't have a, I mean, he, he was just working in some continuity. He started teaching when he was quite young in the, like, in the late 40s, and he was still doing it. And there wasn't some sense of him, you know, Oh, holding the flame or anything. He but just, And he wasn't he was giving you drawing. a sense of what, like, 
of the tradition of where this was he coming wasn't from, talking so he thing. wasn't talking about charles barg or he or or do you, you think know, he even knew about charles barg uh i probably knew who he was but i don't think he was i mean that was a lot of kind of historical art historical revisionism in some level that brought those brought that whole idea and I don't think anyone hardly knew who Charles Barg was. Right. Except or, people reading Van Gogh's letters very carefully. Right. right. Or, or people who were already part of, which I didn't know about, but of course it already existed, the, you know, uh, uh, Gamel and Lack right. scene. And they all knew about that. Which but, was also in Minnesota, oddly enough. Uh, yeah, right? I know. I've often thought about that. But it wasn't, I, I don't know any connection uh, at all. I mean, the, if you when I looked up the work of these teachers of his, who he talked about with such with such a, sort of you know reverence and fondness, they all it looked like 1930s modernism. I mean, some of it was totally abstract, and so I was had a little bit of a disconnect because, or it looked a little bit like, like a certain kind of American scene regional realism kind of, but not very. So like uh, WPA art, almost. Yeah, looked some like th some like that. And That's weird because I, <clears throat> I had a, a teacher in, in in college. It was my first my, my freshman year of going to art school. First ever being introduced. This is to, at SVA. At SVA, um, you know what, eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, um, and he was a foundation teacher, and he was an old man. He's probably in his eighties, and he had an amazing amount. Of, I can't. Why am I? can't remember his name. I, I, I will in a second, but you know, I'm not used to being in front of a mic. But he had an amazing, like, really awful arthritis that his fingers actually went sideways. E. And he would put a piece of charcoal or Conticran or something, and he would do Tieplo drawings, wow. like amazing upshots of these people floating in the air. And he was of the old the old guard, he was like one of those guys. I saw him years later and he was in a wheelchair and, and he saw me and we, we talked and everything. And he was, he was an amazing, amazing draftsman. And then, he, and then I saw his artwork, he was, like, was having a show and he invited me to it. And it was all super abstract. Yeah. <laughs> but no lot, like he did, I still remember the drawings, he did these beautiful figures out of his head. I know? wonder if somebody oh, like that like would amazing have... Amazing people yeah. I wonder if he would have wanted to pursue that had that seemed like a real option. I mean, it, I, it probably I know... probably wasn't. He was probably in his 80s at the time uh, when I met him, you know? So probably... You mean, Ted, when you're saying when he was younger, if yeah. there had been more cultural support or that just an underlying right for him sense to of, be a new like a sort of I don't know bring Tiepolo mm -hmm. into the 20th century. Right. Like, I, remember, I remember being very confused. Yeah. And because he was my drawing teacher, for yeah. a foundation year. Right. And I was just like, I, I don't understand. You know that I wasn't going to say it to like him. If you can do this, why if are you, you can doing do this, that? Why are you doing that? You you're doing. And why did you that, bother to learn this if that's yeah. what you're doing? And I, I guess, that's what I'm, I'm wondering if. If Aaron. he just if he loved it and he liked it, or if it, like you were saying, it just wasn't an option or something like that. I don't know. I think the 20th century just it seems so mysterious to me. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it, it was the century of totalitarianism and people's. I mean, look. I mean, many centuries have been <laughs> most <laughs> like, all centuries. But it certainly was this. There was this feeling of. People, you know, the there was so much ideology, and people want. There was everyone had to be part of this important thing always. There was always some big, important, enormous ideology that people were 
needing to be swept up in. Or, I mean, not that it was necessarily good or bad or wrong, it's just though, I feel like I've often wondered that. Why did everybody want to do this? Why did everybody kind of believe in the thing, in this ideology? Whether or not some people legitimately were deeply committed to it and moved by it, which I'm sure some people were, with the sense that everybody else... Yeah, everybody just, was just every, drinking that same pot of Kool-Aid. Like. I guess, or feeling like it's just who we are. That's what art has to be. So maybe this guy, I don't know who he was, but... It's just this, I mean, it's very, very rare. Almost. Well, definitely, like when we came along, I had, that's what art was supposed to be. And this other stuff was, you know, it was illustration. It was, as you've said before, like, you know, boxes that models come in. It was sort of illustrations for like ship models or airplane models. Like that's what you do with this. But yeah. that it's not, nobody takes it right. seriously now because it's redundant it's all already been said by mm -hmm. you know greater people than us by titian and right. so go ahead no i was just going to say or is it the invention of like the the camera that's certainly well that's the huge, big thing and that's an interesting yeah. topic to that, get into that, I, mean, I think you're right jay that that the invention of the camera i mean the only problem i have with that as a sort of a total argument is that uh the there is no camera of architecture that caused the very similar and parallel uh, shift in ideology and, you know, in architecture. You know, the kind of look of architecture also broke down. And so along with photography or poetry or whatever all the other forms, every art form that was in some kind of what you might consider from a traditional art outlook in some kind of harmonious balance in 1850 or something became, it became this sort of object of, of the art, of, of the avant-garde of each of those art worlds, which were all very linked together, to dismantle the methods, uh, the, the aesthetics, and the, if you, even if maybe there would be an ideology or at least there would be the accusation that there was an ideology. Usually it would be that there was some kind of a, a conservative ideology in the older form. And that as the world was changing, it became, it, it felt very important to move on and dismantle that. And in, 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 in painting, there's the concurrent issue, which is it's, it's just almost like a perfect storm for, for the painting tradition in that the invention of photography happens to render the primary job of artists right. irrelevant at the same time that there was a sort of an avant-garde ideology to think that the, the look of this traditional art form represents the uh, the culture of oppression the that we need to leave behind and and whether or not that was true or not i think that's that, that was happening those two things together left the painting tradition in shambles. I mean, it took a short time as somehow from where it felt relatively Who was healthy. it? Somebody, there's some great quote from somebody. About, about, about <laughs> There's a good quote wow. from somebody. <laughs> about uh, love, about photogra like really photography will kill painting. No, it's and from like, Delaroche. De the first time he saw a photograph, I think this is Paul Delaroche, who died, in, I think, in 1850. So it was early. He saw one of these daguerreotypes. And they first, I think the daguerreotype appears in 1839. Like 19, yeah. No, yeah, 1830, 1830. 1839. Yeah. And there was the first, I mean, the very first examples were like right in that. And then 
Sometime in that era, Delaroche sees one and he says painting is dead or something just like that. He sees a photograph and he says that? And he says, and he's the, although nobody's heard of him now, he was at that point, the, the, he was maybe the or one of the towering figures of, the, of where everybody felt like the entire of the Renaissance tradition had come to a fine point in this one figure. And, and he says this. And it's true. I mean, it, you know, I wish it weren't because it's what I do and everything I care about. But what are you going to do? I mean, there, whatever painting had been was, for, the reason, for that reason, plus this other sort of social, political reasons. So you think he had the, the foresight to see, and those, those first, uh, they were on glass. If, if, the daguerreotypes? Yeah. I think they were copper plates. Were they copper plates? When he saw that, he had the foresight to know, and they're I don't know relatively. If they were copper plates. They were, they, were, they were something. I think like they were Like I metal. said, the copper plates. Um, he had the foresight to to because they were pretty crude. They weren't, you know, they didn't look like paintings, though. I mean, they were compared to some of the finest. I mean, the paintings that were existing up to that point. But very were early on, the daguerreotypes are absolutely astonishing. They, I mean. They're kind of his paintings are also like amazingly like photograph like he did all these paintings of yeah. ruins and they're yeah. I mean oh daguerre yeah yeah um, but the the, the 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 early ones I, mean, I don't know I, I haven't I just haven't done a study of it but you see them around and I don't know how early they are they're so unbelievably detailed they look like you know, 10, 20 megapixel photographs. about them, I am like, wow, they are pretty. And so pretty. aside from rendering the artist's job, you know, redundant, they also they created uh, this incredible envy. I mean, not envy necessarily in a negative way, but this, this yearning on the part of artists to reproduce this astonishing quality. So this, this detail, this detail mania that you start to get in that era, whether the artists are using photographs or not, I think to a great extent has to, or to some extent at least, has to do with uh, seeing these ridiculously, amazingly like tiny little rocks by a stream bed, and it's every one is like yeah. so detailed. It feel, I mean, like it almost feels like it's got texture. Yeah. Those early, or photos. like the little crenellations on a very far away building or cathedral or some piece of architecture. You see that, and um, and then you see, and then you start to see that in painting. Yeah. But the other thing also you see in the photography, which I think is really interesting, is right away the, the aesthetic. I mean, it's hard to call it because they are not handmade things, or they kind of were, but they're, there's an aesthetic in the photograph. So there's a look that they have which immediately the artists are amazed by. And then they start to want, the, it's almost like the, the, the photography killing painting, the first stage of it is that it's, making the artists drunk with the, the look. There's something about the way photographs look, which we all know, it's, it, it's an amazing quality. It's a flat, there's a chic, sexy, flat, empty quality to photographs. Like, that's just something, you know, girls have that. You know, it's one of the favorite kind of... <laughs> they, they're just like, you see them and they're so, there's something quite amazing. And they make, if you can imagine this, they make old-fashioned paintings look overly intentional and stuffy and mannered and stupid. There's like a simplicity to it. Like it, it, it's able to reduce things to a right. very simple series of right. flat 
and patches they're, and of they're cold too. The, it's like, right. But that cold is a cool aesthetic. Yeah, it's like right. when we think about cool, it's not trying too hard. It's not being some stuffy lout who has to like tell everyone what he thinks all the time. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, you, they saw this photographs and I think and immediately within a generation, painting is that. That's the look that the late 19th century academic art starts to have. Uh, and they want to have both, and that's the thing, that's the quality that, that uh, you know, e e that sort of easy, flat quality. And I was talking about the flatness earlier with the modernists, but it, it starts because you said those wonderful flat shapes, these flat quality, because really, of course, it's just the spray of the photons coming through the lens and splattering on the plate, and they, it's, they, it splatters without intention. And it's the, it's the lack of intention that gives photographs their easiness. And, and there's a kind of a, you know, balled up fist quality to painting, <laughs> you know. Well, to it, earlier painting, right? Even, because painting right, becomes because, Or even like in Rembrandt's, there's, there's something about kind of a overly yearning intention or an, an intentionality and, and that, that feels, the, it feels like, so yesterday. Well, it feels I mean, starting heavy in like in 1850. Comparison. It feels heavy, right? And I think immediately the there's a there's a swing and then a counter swing quite quickly. So the first swing is everybody, and the reason why there's the first swing is, and the reason why photography gets invented in the first place is that's what painters had been looking for. They'd been looking to if this I know it's not a word to deintentionalize their act because they wanted to be like a lot of. I mean, there was, it, this was the era of, of, you know, what the development of, you know, uh, this, this sort of science envy in, in all of the arts and the social sciences, there's what, you know, people have sort of thought of as uh, positivism, which is this sort of pursuit of a dispassionate and scientific, almost a physics model for how we think about all kinds of things, whether it's economics or whether it's sociology, and we're going to not make everything about our feelings and about what we expect and what our cultural, we have to strip away our, the bias of our cultural expectation. Like, of course, looking back at, at the great heroes, the great inventors of, of Western thought, modern Western, not the inventors, but the powerful influencers like Galileo and Newton who, who did this miraculous thing of stripping away their Italianness or their Englishness or their expectation of who they were and how, what they were bringing. Sorry? Or their Catholicism. Right, all of the things that they said, my I know what my universe is and I know what I'm supposed to be looking at because I know about the order of the universe from, my, from the church or I know about how, and, and, and so that's the quality of draftsmanship. So you're 18th century Flemish or French or Spanish artist and you draw and clearly you're representing, you're representing the culture, the cultural expectations. You're seeing the world the way you're supposed to. And as you get into the 19th century, the artists really wanted to do that. They wanted to, in some ways, make their art less intentional and more uh, more objective, more, I'm just going to draw it exactly the way it is. Like and dispassionate. I'm, right, dispassionate, and if I use that dumb word again, to sort of de-intentionalized. I'm going to make it so that it's not about what I want, it's about what it is, what it looks like. And that, that in an earlier era, even as there are really, are, there is a tremendous amount of realism in other times, I don't think it has the philosophical support uh, 
in other times in the way that evolves then because it's a cultural, it's almost like a, like a cross the board march of, of, of thinking of all different types. Uh, and so this is the context in which photography gets invented by artists in pursuit of this. So at that time when photography gets invented, this is the thing and they see the result of this is the thing, this is it. And we'll, I'll be, and so all of that, what we've heard from as, as drawing students, when all of our teachers over the years would say, you have to uh, let go of your preconceptions, or you have to have no biases, that sort of echoes uh, of that, of the sort of scientific sensibility that we have to be, uh, and it's not, I'm not saying it's wrong, it's just interesting, uh, and I think it led to places. So it leads to the artists adopting this uh, photo model, I'm gonna be, I'm going to be a, a camera with a soul. I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a real feeling artist, but methodologically, I'm going to be making uh, art that isn't going to be biased by my identity. Um, and so that becomes a kind of realism as uh, you know that the destination is realism. It's the realisticness, and if it looks a little bit, and everything that isn't realistic, and by the standard that we've now got from photography, is going to look weird or mannered or kind of Well, off. I've thought about that in terms of portraiture a lot, in that uh, I think portraits before photography comes along, like a great portrait painter like Van Dyke, all of his subjects kind of look like the same person right. in some way, because he, like, he, didn't, he could get away with a little bit more. And once you get the photograph, and once you have somebody being compared to a photograph, portrait painting almost necessarily has to be done from photographs. Otherwise, the client's going to complain unless you can you know, set up expectations differently. Right, create some whole other set of expectations, right. which, right. So that does connect, though, to what, so, right, so then those artists all are unable to do that anymore, whether they want to or not. And there becomes this culture of photocopying, and I think it's much, much broader, and than than uh, probably we know. I mean, the things are coming out more and more. Well, the interesting thing is, like, if you read what people were writing at the time, nobody really talks about it. Mm -hmm. And clearly, I mean, it, it couldn't not be a huge influence. No. But you read uh, letters by written by artists at the time, and they kind of don't mention it at all, yeah. which makes me wonder Well, do you, you think know, they were embarrassed or? about it, or they felt like it there, was cheating? Well, interestingly, they, they there, was, the soul out of it? there was quite a celebrated lawsuit. In, in 1870, there was a Dutch artist named Van Beers, a young guy. He had been a kind of a layabout, you know, at art school. He didn't really work very hard. And all of a sudden, he starts showing up in the 1870 salons with these paintings that are just this incredible buzz, unbelievably, <laughs> like the most detailed, most incredible. And, and I feel like we've all seen this happen. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy then, at some point, he has he's a big star, a young star of the... Uh, it's like steroids. Uh, yeah, Obviously. well, it has that. But anyway, I just, I mean, it's, I don't even want to be judgmental about it. It's historical and it's interesting. And I'll come back to what makes me feel less judgmental about it in a second, but he, um, I think also the dates are probably wrong, but I sort of have the sense of it was 1870. And then in the, the following Antwerp, maybe, uh, salon, he gets accused in the press of both copying photographs, but then even of painting on top of photographs. And then he sues, a little bit like the Whistler lawsuit. Right. See, Whistler sues Ruskin. This guy sues, I don't know the details, he sues, I think, two of the reviewers. And uh, it goes, it gets quite, I think one of them withdraws, and I think the guy, the artist is a kind of a little bit wild, 
and, uh, and maybe liked the publicity. And I think the journalists, I think, didn't have the stomach for it. One of them, I think, sort of withdrew, said he was sorry. And, <laughs> Fine, um, I'll apologize, just don't take me to court. Right, and the other one, I, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what, what the story was, but yes, it w there was some talk about it, but it wasn't a lot. I mean, maybe it was more than we know. It's maybe, who knows, maybe there was tons, but people forgot. But, you know, it's interesting. So the idea of the, uh, uh, the introductions of the photograph, um, the dismantling of sort of towards the end of the 19th century and early mm -hmm. 20th century art, I mean, do you think because of this idea of people doing such detailed work to the point, and that those were the celebrated artists when you start talking about Nassonier and, and Barg and, well, he wasn't, Barg wasn't big, but the, the people who were doing these incredibly detailed work, do you think it, it sort of caused the art world to start just, I, I can't, we can't well, the, do I, that. I don't want to do that. Well, I think if different that's things. That's what you have to do right. to be famous. I don't think it was just world. details, but I think, I think a lot of people did different things. I mean, there's, there's a very famous portrait, maybe, I don't know whether he was like the top portrait painter of the era, a guy named uh, Lindbach, some, possibly Lindbach, I use German, I think. He painted like, uh, you know, uh, Queen of England, the King of England, he, was it? Yeah, I mean the consort, I guess. He painted uh, the the um, you know the the German guy Bismarck, and I think people like that, or maybe Wilhelm, but all kind, those sorts of people. And he famously would have there was in his studio. I read the, I can't remember. I'm just remembering things popping through my head. But there would be he would have a curtain in the back of his studio, <laughs> and there would be a little gap, and people would be posing, and they would be hearing and they'd little. Hear. <laughs> yes, exactly. They'd hear little clicks. And there'd be like a flash. No flash, but they'd hear the little clicks. Now, so clearly there was some sense of anxiety about it, but, um, but like, here's the thing. It was like voyeurism. Well, <laughs> and then I think supposedly the people, there were people that he was closer to that he was more candid, that, that he wouldn't be uh, secretive about with it. Um, but uh, the thing I think, I guess, what, what sort of strikes me about it is this group of people I guess what one way of looking at it is that they uh, are, they are inventing a brand new art form, and I think that's the credit that they deserve. Which the is people who were they're inventing a amalgam uh, amalgamated form of traditional art, having an aesthetic of traditionalism and a reverence for the facture of older painting, the materials, there were a lot of them, like people like Viber, were the greatest users of materials. I mean, incredible, like technical makers of paintings. And, and they were composing using the traditional sort of sensibility and using relating to the you know, stage designing and directing, and so their characters interrelated, like thinking about how older painters were doing it. And into this, or, or into this, they're fusing this photo aesthetic, the, the, this sort of cool look, this look that looks, it looks modern. You have to realize that it would have looked amazingly new and different to a person who grew up before there was a photograph. Right. Then to have this, and it's, it's not just a crutch, it's an, it's an aesthetic that's different. And, and it's making older paintings look square. I mean, you, mm. you got it made them look like, it would be like, you know, and I thought about it, is this, it would be like, it's a kind of an easier look that sort of, you know, maybe. I feel like subject matter also gets a lot, e like, v I mean, you mentioned Viber, and it's like the Cardinal isn't happy with his supper, you know, and mm -hmm. 
the, the, you know, the subjects that Rembrandt chooses to paint, he obviously like deeply, you know, is interested in, in, in the Bible and, and he's depicting scenes that obviously have a lot of meaning to him. And I feel like a lot of the they're joking. The a little subject bit. matter. It's, it's, a, it's, it's light. A little bit, it's a little bit light, but it's it's, it's again real. that cool is that right. like it's you're a little bit more removed from it. It's not yeah. like they're not taking themselves. Yeah. It's maybe it's like the beginning of irony in art or something. Well, well, well I certainly I think I think uh, the 19th century probably is very ironic age, and that irony. I mean, people who were you know Marxists will talk about the is it alienation. It was a time of tremendous alienation. I mean, not just anybody will say that there was a great deal of alienation. People were. People, people's community and life w w was kind of destroyed. And so, the, and things, people's faith, everything was being destroyed. And so it's natural that people will be alienated. And one of the classic responses to alienation is irony. And so you do get that irony, which then becomes such enormous force in the 20th century. Is that the swing back that you were talking about? You said it here's, swung. Here's the swing back that, I, that I'm interested in, which is that there were I think a lot of the, suppose you were a young artist and this Van Beers or somebody just like him comes along and is getting all this attention at the salon. And so you're thinking, okay, well, here's this guy and he's supposedly doing the thing that uh, Masaccio did and, and uh, you know, El, uh, Goya. And I mean, this is, he's the heir and he's, these people are becoming, or, or maybe a like, person like, uh, you know, Jerome is supposed to be this big giant star. And you're looking at them and, and you think that they're making, and you know, and it's particularly, I think, interestingly, after 1870, uh, this is the, 1870 is the year that the, uh, I think that George Eastman invents the dry plate, uh, the, the, the photographic dry plate, and then right away there's box cameras. So and that's when everybody has Right, so instead of, instead of having to have a, like a lab or be a really rich person with all kinds of, or it would be overly, I mean, this is, again, Pumby will probably correct me and that's fine, but this is just my sort of quick take on it. <laughs> Get lots of emails. <laughs> no, <laughs> you got the date wrong. Or maybe, who knows, but this is just my take on it. So, yeah. so then at that point, there becomes this a, a, a very, very broad use, and I think a lot of people reacted to feeling like, uh, to that feeling like that's not the thing. And then the question is, what about that isn't the thing? And I think the response was, there's something, and it was an over-response, it was a baby with the bathwater response, which is that these people are fake. They're fakers. They're, they're, they're doing, they're pretending, you're saying, Mr. Messonnier or, the, Miss, you know, Bougereau, Jerome, that you're doing, you're really the Michelangelo of today, but it's a different thing that Michelangelo was doing. And I think it was a different thing. But the question, I mean, but the thing is, I think one of the problems is that there was a kind of a, a, a clear announcement in some way, not that there needed to be, that they, that these guys had, or this whole group in, in, in an interrelated but disconnected way had, had, was in the process of inventing a new form, which is this photo traditionalism. But there was a sense that, no, it's not a new thing, it's the same old thing. And I think a lot of people responded, and, and this really became the beginning of, of the first avant-garde. I mean, not, not for political reasons, there had been earlier movements of the avant-garde, but I think in terms of an aesthetic and method avant-garde, the, sort of, the spirit of anti-realism that we all grew up with so much, I think, comes out of the feeling like because realism, 
the realism, the realisticness of realism is essentially a worthless thing that any clown can do copying a photograph, then clearly that's not what is good about Van Eyck or that's not the thing about Rembrandt that's good. So let's get the thing about Rembrandt, let's get what's good. Well, what's good about it clearly is all ways in which the Rembrandt diverges from a photograph have to necessarily be the things that are valuable about the Rembrandt. So it's abstract qualities, it's textural qualities, it's distortions, and these become the, the things that become the singular uh, concern uh, increasingly of, of avant-gardism as it, as it moves away. And that's that sort of second stage. But it does keep that kind of dispassionate coolness. That's the one well, thing that I they think, kind of tried to take. In some ways, I think though the like, for instance, the you know expressionism, like German expressionism, purports. I mean, maybe it does. People would say that it does. Purports to be very, very emotional and like get the 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 angry or the yearning or the the you know express the human spirit. And you know, you compare that to a Tissot or something, which is like, oh, right, yeah. you know. And, and then later on, American uh, New York abstract expressionism, it's like, and the people who knew Hoffman, who he was coming out of this, it's like, it's as if there's, there's always an ineffable depth that how do you, you know, where do you find it? And, and it's, it's a kind of a unattainable romanticism, which is this thing, what is it that Rembrandt had? How do you describe it? How do you know what it was? What is the sort of that, that magic? Um, and, and I think they were almost, in some ways, it's by the repudiation of the photographic, it's the photographic in contemporary realism that's the fraud. And so we'll, we'll, everything that isn't that of the older art is what we're going to do now. And so, look, I mean, it's, I, it's just where I am now in my thinking about it. And... Uh, Meanwhile, the, the new form that gets invented, that is, moves forward to, be, to, to greater glory in various ways and becomes, you know, illustration. And there's, you can see it going right into all kinds of illustration, like the paintings on the model covers, who were, a lot of those guys are, who painted those were, studied the Art, the Art Students League right. with, you know, Riley and Dumond in the 30s and 40s. And they're connecting to that photo and traditional art amalgam. Um, and meanwhile, this other form becomes, it becomes the sort of other side, this modernism. Then that, that those two things, those, I guess, some ways carry on into the beginning of our careers when we were confronted with these, this like a, you know, it's an either or. I've been thinking about the problem, my problem with modernism since the first time somebody told me that I wasn't allowed to try, or that's putting it sort of very plain, overly bluntly, that I wasn't allowed to try to draw like Leonardo. But it was like this long journey because then all of a sudden you discover all these people in the 19th century who could draw so well and it was such, like, I mean, it, you're confronted with, why don't I know about these people? Right. Like, who are they and how are they doing this? And mm -hmm. But it, I don't know, interestingly, it's, I've sort of have a little bit of a return as I 
was a kid, I was looking, trying. I, I liked Leonardo, and that was what I, you know, and I was Michelangelo and all of you know those guys, and that was what I wanted. And then later on, I did in that period in the you know maybe starting in the late eighties and nineties, I did start to come across those nineteenth-century artists who then it felt like, wait a minute, there is this continuity. There is, I do have antecedents that aren't simply the ancient ones. They didn't, it didn't all vanish. And uh, uh, that seemed interesting, but I, I certainly, it, 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 on the other hand, those artists were the artists that, to a great extent, were really doing a kind of uh, this, sort of photography, they were incorporating photography, the look of photography, the aesthetic, uh, as, and this the, so almost like you might consider the, the, the uh, motivation of photography, which is the, the, uh, the dispassionate record sense spirit. And, uh, um, and of course that was part of what the Renaissance was. Uh, the, you know, that's, it's, not, it's not a separate tradition, but it becomes so much more distilled so that it then starts to alienate its own roots. I guess that's the feeling. So then when I look back now, I sort of feel like maybe that was that 19th, late 19th century enthusiasm is something maybe I'm a little bit less interested in at this point. I'm sort of looking at that feeling like it's not, it's not, where, it's not what I want for me to think of as the taproot of my tradition, because it's already a new thing, and it's the thing that I, not the thing that I set out to do, and right. it's not a thing that I ever specifically decided, hey, I'm going to bag the old master pursuit, at, and I'm going to sort of do this more of an illustration slash old master pursuit, because I like it better. And if a person said that, I mean, I think that's, that's a great thing to do also, because there's, it's a, look, every kind of art, there's a different art traditions, and people have to pursue the one there's, some might be grander than others, but everyone has to pursue the one that's for them. Now, when you, um, the idea of the pursuit, the, after, when you started becoming a professional artist, and when Ted and I met you, you were, you were talking about that was the beginning of the Water Street Atelier. Mm -hmm. And was that a move or, or a decision that you made pretty early on that you wanted to make you know, school and institution a place where you can explore these ideas and maybe create a, a different philosophy of what was going on at the time. Like, what was the, the main factor, the I think, driving factor I think of I the was, creation of the Water Street Atelier? I think I was founded? motivated to some extent by a kind of a bigger, you know, sort of social movement uh, idea that I, I thought it would be great to have a place uh, around which the advocates of this form could gather, uh, that we all would, you know, that I would you know, run the flag up and everybody would come and then we would vanquish the, you know, <laughs> some... Well, everybody came. Flags <laughs> up there. A lot of people there. We would vanquish anybody. And so, um, I mean, that's being a little bit silly, but... but uh, you know, people just started to show up, and it just, you know, people liked what I was doing. I saw a couple other examples of what I thought were false starts in this direction that I thought... Like what? 
Well, you know, <laughs> I was involved at the New York Academy at the very beginning, and it looked like it was going to become more like uh, the sort of thing that I, I was very excited. And then clearly they, they made a commitment, or it, it, it evolved towards a more uh, modern art, contemporary. It, it was trying to figure out how to be part of an art world that I wasn't interested in and I felt was you know, corrupt. And, it, it, and I, it just, I saw that happening and, I, and at the same time I felt like it was this, the thing that I was connected with that I had gone, that I'd been part of, which was never perfect. It was wonderful in some ways, but I thought it, was, it had moved away from the space I wanted to be in. So then I thought, well, I could do something, this little thing, and I could just keep it in the space that I care about, which is really, I don't know what, drawing and painting and loving the old way of just the, the, the aesthetic and the method and the art, the art of drawing and painting. Like the sort of ancient thing, reverence for the ancient arts. It was such a transformative experience, I think, for both of us, Tony and I, when we first went and visited you at your studio when you were in Brooklyn and uh, Pohima's place, that we, we walk in, go up to your, you know, your studio on the top floor, and it was dark, and there was like a tiny... It was like you know, Marlon like, Brando at the end. You're an errand boy. Um, you... Yeah, I, I mean, was like it, 24 or something. <laughs> you were like 21. <laughs> it's kind of, this old guy. We were so amazed, though. I, I mean, I to me, you did though, have a visor on. Just you did have a visor, a and you were working. The tip of my nose had a tiny bit of light on it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the glasses were just above that bit of light. <laughs> and uh, you had like this pulley system for your. But I just remember seeing you making art and it looked so fun and the art, like all of your paintings looked so beautiful and they definitely had, like, I mean, I studied at the Art Students League, but I had never felt like I found somebody who really connected to the paintings that I grew up loving. You know, you mentioned Leonardo and, and Michelangelo and I look around your studio and I felt like there was, your paintings had that quality. They felt like they connected or they, they had something in common with those paintings and here you were doing it. And I think it was at a point in my life where I was doing animation. I had given up on this idea that, you know, it was, sort of seemed like a silly idea anyway. Like, who does this? Paints. And uh, I, yeah. I think both of us. Were I think there. a lot of people had that. I think for me, I was extremely, uh, it was very important for me to have people show up and come around who you know, who had those feelings. It, I really had this sense of that, it, you know, I was gonna be launched off into an isolated life. Like, I mean, I didn't think about it very much, but it definitely felt like it was, I was gonna be on my own. And so when people came around whose enthusiasm, you know, matched mine, and who wanted this, I was just, all I wanted to do was give everybody what I got. Here's what I got, <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> and well, and there was that give and no, take. Goodness, yeah, I so did, much. I do remember a lot of ideas being exchanged at the Water Street Atelier when I went there. Um, you know, back to when you and I visited Jacob in his studio, I didn't even know that that was possible to be a fine artist. I knew, you know, you know about it, but when you see it, you well, were, I knew you that were, you could you do were an it. Illustrator. If like, you can do right. if you could do art, you were an illustrator. You did some. some and if you could do drawing, if you can draw. realistic drawing was 
Right. You book if I you do, did if, like if, abstract yeah. painting, yeah. there's a road for you, but I didn't see a path. And then what, I, what made I you did, think that you could I do? Like, I was going to say, if I have idea. a gift, if I really, if there's a gift that I have, it's it's the ability or the willingness to not to think that I have to do something. I just thought I, you know, I just this. It didn't occur to me that I wasn't allowed. But people must have told you that Everyone you're not told me I wasn't allowed. And, and so it's almost like your contrarianism was... It was... My contrarianism was, was, an, was a kind of an overlay, which and it, it's not intrinsic to my, my character. I'm not a... I realized later that I'm not a contrarian. I'm an idealist. I wanted to do this thing. Right. And then it, I, I somehow was convinced by other people or by myself that I was really doing it somehow in spite of them or to spite them or to show that I didn't have to. Or their, like, their criticism is only fortifying your position. Right. But ultimately, I don't think, and I think that hurt me, and I think it made me sort of try on a self that wasn't really the core, my core self, this idea. Was that like when you hated modernism? Right, being all hating modernism, and I think I went on this long journey of associating, and I think very accurately in some ways, associating modernism with, with uh, political progressive thought, because they do go together, and I felt like if modernism is this wicked and false, and mean and <laughs> hurt my feelings so much. <laughs> then the other things that came up with it, like progressive politics, must also be, you know, born in the same twins. And so I, I had this kind of uh, reactionary stage. And it, it, I think it's, you know, whatever. Everybody goes where they go. But th that is, a, I think it's a correct association. But it doesn't mean that, who look, you, the world is a, not a perfect place. And I think letting go of all of that has just been sort of natural, but it's also been letting go of my, this idea that I was really going against anybody, which I, I looking back, of course, I wasn't going against anybody. I just was staying, staying on the path, trying to do the thing. And, and of course, it's hard, you know, I mean, look, we know so, especially artists, oh, and I never really got super bitter. I've always had a sense of humor. And I don't have anything to be bitter about either, so that would be absurd. But, uh, you know, there's so many people that we all know and I always felt like the people a little older than me had it so much harder. It yeah. was things were, it was like a, the, the sun was like coming up over the horizon in like 1982 when I graduated <laughs> high school. And it just felt like, okay, things are going to be better in spite of how it seems. And well, certainly because of having all of the people like you guys who so quickly popped up in my life and made me feel like, okay, this is going to be great. It's going to be really fun. Um, that that sort of that earlier age was 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 very. I think it was very hard. With uh, you know, back to the the Water Street days. Did you did you have a, a a bigger picture for it? Did you see where you wanted it to go, or was it pretty much just like a you, you're doing it now and you're going to live in it? And, and but did you foresee where it can go or what you wanted it to become? Uh, you know, I can't remember. I probably did. I probably was thinking. I always have had a little. Uh, I was always had a break on it, which was that I told myself, which I actually something I need to that revisit seriously now because it's I'm losing it a little. But I told myself that I would never allow my uh, identity publicly uh, and or privately uh, my identity as a. Uh, teacher and institutional person to become greater uh, and more important than my identity as, as a maker of art. 
and uh, that certainly, and so I was always wanting to make sure that the school was kind of a little, not make sure, but it, it would be disorganized, it would be, or I would allow it to go where it went and not try to throttle it, because look, I've got bigger fish to fry, because I'm still trying to make great art and become a great artist, and you know, it can be, and I think it was sort of a lucky thing for it, because it sort of, as you guys remember, it took on this hilarious uh, character. It, this community was funny, and everybody, there was no one exactly in charge, and I would show up, and there was... Well, it was something great about that, too. I, I mean, I think all of us, like it was sort of like, it was a commune, and we were all sort of, I, I don't I felt, and I think everybody felt sort of empowered to sort of make things happen, and we'd run it by you, and you'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. And you'd always support everything. So we, you know, we, I don't know, like do portrait sessions where we'd switch off posing for each other. Like all these ideas came up and we would just do them. Mm -hmm. And there was something right, great about that. Right, all those landscape trips would just evolve. Right. We would all just trundle in some car and drive somewhere and fly somewhere. And that was all great. And, and, I, and I, so I think for a long time, I didn't really sort of, I, I have, I've always had, or especially at the time I had big plans about myself and what I wanted. And, and I have to admit right now I'm, I'm feeling uh, a little bit sort of, you know, a little bit out of balance in that regard. I think this sort of community of the uh, Water Street Atelier, Grand Central Academy has sort of become so big and I've sort of there's so many people who are so, for whom it's such an important part of who they are and what they're doing. And at the same time, I'm in a, for the last six months, I've been in this you know, creative gully. So that's the kind of situation you have to be careful about because you can then take a lot of satisfaction from being an important guy. And then when you go back in your studio, if you have self-loathing and can't do anything that you like or can't remember, you know, maybe you, know, you worry, maybe I had one big thing that pushed me for 25 years and now, now it's over. And I don't I, have anything left I, to say. I ran out and, and so then rather than have to hate or feel like, a, like I haven't got it, I can then turn around and organize school. But there must have been also something about, um, I, I find with teaching, just that, that it, it sort of inspires or maybe coaxes new ideas oh out of gosh, me or, yeah. or sort of enthusiasm for, like oh my it's hard to be, you know, I don't know, changing diapers or de dealing with your family and, and painting and teaching. And then you see some kid come into the, you know, some 17 or 18 year old come into the Grand Central Academy and they're all, they're finding it. They're finding this thing that they've, well, you know, they're young, but the thing that like we spent years and years of our lives trying to find and it reminds you of why you're doing right. it. It's very, what? it's legitimizing, which right. is great. And that's a danger in even now when we feel like there's a lot of, that's different, that having a whole bunch of people come, kids come in who just feel like the way I felt. Energetic, felt, before we were old and tired. <laughs> that I want this, I really, and I'll, and I'll just, I'm gonna work so hard and I wanna get it and I wanna draw like that and I wanna, that, that's a big deal. It is, and then teaching them is, and even back then, I'm remembering that sort of the it's just I, used to, I still do, but I sort of love I love talking about drawing, <laughs> yeah. and that's just basically I once described I was just once trying to describe how it felt to my wife, and I was it was like, uh, you know, just it, for me the teaching is like learning through talking about it while I'm talking about it, and that's what it's always been, and. And so that's partially why everyone who's studied with me over the years 
has a totally different idea of, because I, I learned that, I'm done with that, I don't talk about that anymore, I talk about this now. I always so thought that was so amazing that like, when the next group comes along, you're telling them exactly the opposite, the opposite. of what you were saying. It was the total opposite. It's of all about flat us. shapes, and then like 10 years later, you're like, flat shapes, is, that's photography, no, nothing, nothing's flat, it's, no, it's all three-dimensional, where's the knee, what's the closest thing? You're walking around with your six-foot yards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember complaint, like, Ted and I were like, well, why is he telling them that? He didn't tell, he told us, he told us something completely uh, different. That sounds really irresponsible. But it's pretty great that, like, you, I mean, you get to keep reinventing. Well, it certainly keeps me doing it, I would be, I, I would Not reinventing. I remember in college once looking up and, and having this kind of scales fall from your eye moment where the lecturer, I looked at his notes, I was in the front row, which I never was, but and I looked at his notes and they were like obviously 30 years old, his lecture notes. I, I just had this so, so sad. He's been speaking to, to a wall for 30 years and still nobody's so now now you have the the, the the well we you at the water street uh, yeah. the, the water street atelier slash grand central Academy, mm -hmm. which you complained about last time we were talking slash about. queens I, boulevard school of art which, yeah, <laughs> i think i was calling it the grand central academy of art and you kept on just beating me over the head. It's, it's not the Grand Central Academy of Art. There is no of art there. There's no, I know, but I can't help but say it for it some It could reason. be of anything. It's, what, it's, it's whatever you want it to be. Yes. <laughs> you have to open your mind. So you have that now. Do you, what kind of... Um, hey, I don't have it. Well, not, not have it. We, you actually do we, we have actually, it in your palm of your I show up and like explain drawing at it once a week. But I'm always curious to, uh, to get the, uh, um, what people sort of foresee you know, either their life. What's the next artwork. chapter What's for What's the it? next level or where Well, here's what I, one of the things I really want, <laughs> what I'm hoping will happen is this. Uh, there, the group of teachers and students and our little staff of two um, is become, it's, as, as you guys of course know, it's just become better and better. The, the teaching, the, the kind of, thinking, the methods and ideas have become clearer and, and stronger. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed, and I think we've all noticed, is that it, the thing that it was back when it was that wild big studio in Brooklyn uh, 15 years ago, uh, it's, it's, something has been lost from that. And what, I, what I'd love to do is try to bring this amazing kind of program, uh, and it's intense, it's more serious than it was, a lot of ways, uh, but bring this and then reunite it with with what that because one of the things that it had back then was it really had uh, a sense that the uh, uh, students were making art all the time and because of just because of the space and being in Midtown and people everybody's putting their stuff away they work really hard they put their drawing away they maybe they'll be able to find a space to do a little still life or go on a little landscape trip and there's a lot of very close relationships but that sense of being in I feel like it would be fun for all of us to rebuild that uh, and find a bigger space and a space that would allow for the students as they're finishing to not have to leave if they don't want to because, you know, they, right now if a person's done with this amazing progression of drawing, learning how to draw and paint the figure, it's really nothing for them. They can be around, maybe if I could find a way to, you know, 
for them to be involved as a teacher if, if that's great, uh, or, or they can hang around as a friend, but you know, in, the, in that old studio, people would sort of naturally segue from being a student to, because there was all these studios, because the space was big, then they would be making art. And they would be making art that was based on the figures that they were painting, or maybe some still lifes, or making, you know, go through, make a whole bunch of copies that they felt like making. Or it's an amazing, like, inspirational thing for the yeah. people who are just coming in and right. finding it to have actual art making going on right. so that it becomes, it transcends just right. the exercises right. and right. becomes. And I think we've become a little sort of bit, a little bit too much about, like, sort of this amazing skill. Um, which I, I think is great. Maybe it would is a great stage to go through because you, sometimes you just got to focus and be narrow. Um, but uh, I would love to get that. And I also, I mean, like there's, the, you know, new student comes in and there's a couple people who are really, you know, I mean, who knows whether the market will recover, but, you know, some of these people who maybe finished their studying a couple years ago are now starting to have their first show and they're making the show in this in the space, in the studio. They're right there and this new student sees them, you know, having all the work photographed, shipping it out, getting it framed, and then they're there at the opening. I mean, that's, you know, when, I, when you guys were first when studying we were with me, that, that was, that's that where was, I was. was huge. Right. I was just getting going and, you, and I would be staying up till five in the morning, finishing all the paintings every day for as long as it needed and then all of a sudden there we all were at the opening and that's the thing you're describing which is wow that yeah that, that's one of the things that you can do great and then so then we've had that and I certainly had that at Water Street and you guys were the role models at that point and the people coming up were seeing how that works people getting portrait commissions and remember how it was I mean that was a heady time because it was like building boom bubble time right so art dealers were always coming through and trying to cherry-pick the work we were doing and uh, and so I think that you know, minus the guarantee of all of that uh, booming market, I think getting that kind of uh, culture building again, I, I think that would be really great. And I think also aside from just the benefit to the students, I think it would serve a benefit as a, a locus, or a, you know, a, a place to see. People can walk in the door and that's how it really right. felt. You walk in the door and nobody needs to explain anything. You see it and you're like, oh my goodness. People would walk in the right. old studio and they would say, that's amazing. And you wouldn't have to say, you don't have to sit there and say, and then furthermore, we represent this and this is our blah, 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 blah. And we hate those people. Stuff, <laughs> stuff, stuff, stuff. Instead, you walk in and you see this stuff and you're like, whoa, that is so cool. And, uh, and I think that one of the problems is that for, I don't know why, but right now uh, there just isn't the institutional there's nothing around that a person can know what it is. There's various websites or magazines or... Well, there's definitely, I mean, the internet is sort of creating this huge community. It's, it's pulling people together from mm -hmm. all these different places, which is sort of interesting. I don't know exactly where that's gonna mm -hmm. go. And I also, I have mixed feelings about viewing paintings on oh, the internet on the because, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I do think you have to experience, like, I. Tony mentioned uh, before, I went to Amsterdam recently and saw the Night Watch, the Rembrandt painting, and to stand in front of that painting, yeah. there's just no substitute for that. I mean, you really have to experience it. Yeah. And I, particularly for a painter, it, it's an experience. Yeah. So where do you see it going? Where do you see all this going? In the, with a big picture? The big picture. Oh gosh, I don't know. You know, years ago, I, I had a, a, this triumphalist uh, idea that I could see, I, was, I could imagine, from what had happened between my childhood and wherever I was, you know, I could extrapolate the changes 
and then project and see you the charted them on a graph. Right. The complete. <laughs> it said Jacob uh, hanging in the Metropolitan. <laughs> right. The complete routing of all of the Fans whatever. Just paparazzi right. just chasing you down yeah. the street. And and but more than that, or maybe less than that, th there would be a, a, a cultural, uh, you know, a reawakening, and people would realize that this is a beautiful art, and it's 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 our, you know patrimony or, or, you know, matrimony, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and we'll, we'll be able to, you know, all as a culture recognize that this is this beautiful thing and, uh, and all of the errors of 20th century art will be, everyone will be repenting madly. <laughs> and, and, I apologize know. for Kandinsky. <laughs> um, so that didn't happen. Um, and it doesn't really look exactly like that's going to be happening in time soon. I think it's just around the corner. In another 10 years, in another yeah, 10 years. Stay on course, stay on course. Just don't give up the dream. So what do you see then? What, what, what's a more realistic? Um, well, one thing I, I do think, I mean, one thing that, you know. And, and keep it positive, please, come on. <laughs> we'll all be beaten down and working in the salt mines for the ant alien invaders. <laughs> Graphic designers <laughs> yeah. right. doing model ship box covers, <laughs> illustrations. But there's not even that because it's you know it's all dead, it's dead. dead. Nobody can oh, be you know it's all Photoshop. It's you know we'll become masters of Photoshop. There's a million people. You'll never get as good as a 14 year old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so I guess um, here's what I think what I want to happen. I want this, see here's, the, one of the things I want to do is, in, at the risk of sounding negative, um, I want, with this model of seeing a non-photographic art form, which is, and it's a just fine line because, you know, there's, there's qualities in you know, in this tradition, whether it's in, of course, in Velasquez and, uh, you know, uh, in Venetian painting, Flemish painting, that, 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 that certainly, clearly, the, there, there's goals that then photography connects to. But nonetheless, to just as, you know, if we just accept what I was saying before as being a significant factor, I would say that I would like to, I don't know whether it's possible, but to, to sort of develop a differentiated form and, and allow uh, that, I mean, I'm talking about market, I'm talking about what the thing that I, we're trying to do, how do you understand what this is? And I think as I increasingly, I'm starting to understand that for one, my original, when I started out, and not that I have to have, you know, my own private personal golden age is authentic, but I was really not, I didn't, there was tons of illustration. I could have studied illustration and I admired it, but I didn't. It wasn't what I wanted. The thing I, I clearly, there was this other thing that I wanted and I couldn't have named what was different about it, but uh, I knew that there was the thing. It was, this was the thing that I wanted. Um, and I guess I'd like to be able to, and as I'm thinking now and I'm seeing this sort of what's developing, that mid-19th century development, I'm seeing that what I had imagined was those modernists ruined everything. Let's go back to, you know, 1880. That's when it was all fine. But I'm thinking now, you know, wait a minute. 
that's an interesting period, the transition, that first swing period. But I want to go back. You want to go back. To, I want to think about something, because that's already a different art form, because that's, that's an art form that's, I just don't know. And I, I think there's so many artists of that period, especially, but even modern artists working like that, that are just tremendously admirable. People who were doing, I guess you could call it what's illustration now, and if you think about the, the artists, you know, those late 19th century naturalists, it's, it's, it's just, it just feels like a slightly different thing. And what I want to do is I'd like to try to carve out a space that's realism and it's like the traditional art, the tradition of painting that doesn't, not that it excludes it out of a negative bias, but that it's, not about what that's about. That's that. That's, and I think the simplest way to find it is to is to put together the group of people who are, are interested in not using photographs. I think you could, you know, it could seem like it's a vanity, or a lot of people would say, oh, that's just a sort of a pet thing where you're just fussy little people who want to differentiate yourselves for meaningless reasons. That people would say maybe that's a you know a distinction without a difference. But nonetheless, I think that that would be a, a first step. I think this, developing the, the new, uh, the atelier in, in this space and letting it grow and build is, is part. And then I think there has to be some kind of outreach to develop a connoisseurship uh, to, to, uh, to, in order so that not a lot of people, and again, this is where I maybe have moved away from where I was uh, you know, 10 years ago or so, whereas I, it's not as if uh, people, other people shouldn't go and like what they like, and if people want to have a kind of a, a sort of wildly ironic art enthusiasm and go to Basel, Miami and really dig that, it's not what I'm going to like, but the idea that those people have to be <laughs> defeated, certainly. <laughs> and repent. It's like, you know, yeah. I mean, they, that's, you know, and then if people want to, there's a million things in the world that people got to do. Right. And but so do you want to revisit, like, the heavy-handed, clenched fist era that you were talking well about not before. really but on the other hand one thing I realize is it's the clumsiness it's the it's the intentionality of the art even that sort of that heavy like searching quality searching, you look at like that's the thing that's and the somehow thing. and but I would what, what I would worry the thing I worry about and I see it with various of my friends is that it could be a sort of a sad replay of the original avant-garde uh, Re, re, flight, you know, as Greenberg in that essay, the, the uh, Kitchen, the Avant-Garde, he describes, he never uses the word photography, but it, it's as if he's describing this exact phenomenon, which is that these artists who emerge, and he describes it because of social conditions, and he's a Marxist, and he talks about how the you have this uh, displaced and alienated uh, working class who had been on the farms and now they're proletariats and some of them made money and they're buying and they, they're totally disconnected from their own old folk traditions and they're buying uh, art that's being made. And the way he describes is he's being made and he, I think he uses words like mechanically, uh, you know, technologically, I think there's all kinds of language like that. In, and he's described uh, almost as if, and this is just trying to remember vaguely from a couple of years ago, that they're trying to make art that's a simulacrum of the older art, like the hollowed out husk of the older art form. 
And uh, that's so harsh, and he's being harsh about a lot of artists that I really admire, like 90, late 19th century naturalists, and he's just saying they're utterly worthless, and he's saying, so he's describing then the avant-gardists flee because they want to be the opposite of that. What I worry about is I don't want to then think, oh, we have to try to flee. I don't want to be fleeing from being similar to artists who honestly I admire a lot. I just feel like it's a tough situation when the thing that I do, the thing, the thing about like the clenched fist quality, I mean, that's so putting it so negatively. I, I know I, but it was my phrase. Um, that that quality is the thing that somehow is it's the childlike or innocent or 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 overly mannered or it's the thing that doesn't happen in photography. I mean, people who are working from photography can can put that in to some degree, and maybe they can. I mean, look, and that's it's just a different way of doing things. Right. But I guess what I would want to sort of try to carve out is a space for the artists and the the uh, enthusiasts for this way of thinking about art to come around to it. And interestingly, it, 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 seemed, it seemed much more natural. It didn't seem like this distinction needed to get made in you know, 25 years ago when I was first starting out. Is that what, 25, 20, I don't know how long ago, 20 years ago. Uh, Been in the game know, for a long time. So maybe 20 years <laughs> I'm ago. I'm getting too old like for this stories, boy. And so I, would, I feel like this, the, there, I think there could be connoisseurship and it would be, it's difficult, but connoisseurship can be difficult. I mean, I look all around and I can, look, I can get things a little bit wrong, but I feel like I can see what I, what I think this is. And I look around and I see different examples and, and I think it would be, it doesn't seem like impossible that if there was a will to do it, and I think there ought to be, I mean, like right now in the art culture, for however much people like what's going on, or are enthusiastic about little parts of it, I think there's an awful lot of people that would just be utterly delighted to have something difficult and serious to, to, to care about that included making very, very fine distinctions of craft and philosophy that even touched on sort of metaphysical uh, questions. That's what I think people would like that. It's gonna be hard, it'd be hard to do, but I think if, if, if we can, I mean, so I'm thinking about one of the things as we're sort of launching the new school, I'm thinking we're gonna be uh, kind of pushing, creating a new nonprofit organization. And I thought one of the things we haven't really ever done, we've just accepted our patronage through, for the most part, through the galleries. And I think uh, patronage, people buying paintings through the galleries, they're just buying stuff. I mean, they like it a lot and maybe they feel it's important. But I think those very same people, often they could be very, very brilliant people, very bright, very accomplished in other fields, and they might really connect to this. And I think the idea would be building a community that has uh, a, a kind of the artists and the patrons and the people who are thinking and writing about it uh, based on trying to understand, I mean, trying to reconnect to this pre-photographic art tradition. And it's not the only way to do it. There's going to be a lot of different people who are trying to do it in a different way. But in the way that we're all trying to do it, which overlaps but isn't identical, uh, I think, anyway, that's, I think there could, it could build uh, yeah, I guess around the community we've already got, I'm, I'm imagining we could build a, uh, a, a community to support something, not to change the world, but to support the people doing it and to bring, you know, satisfaction uh, and stimula stimulation to, the, to people who would, you know, want to be more in the sort of public role. And if we change the world, that's just the icing that, on the cake. Yeah, maybe that. Well, you know. 
maybe the world needs some changes. Sometimes. Well, who knows? I mean, look, that, that's how you start. And if people, if people feel like, wow, that's just a great, and then, boy, I'm really tired of having to go to yet another uh, gala and sit looking at another Jeff Koons, you know, because I think a lot of people go to those events. There's just nothing else to do in the art world. And I think if there were something presented, look, not a, I don't want to be tailoring anything in order to make patrons have a better time at their cocktail parties. But uh, look, you do something that's deep and interesting, some of those people are going to, some people, various kinds of people are going to want to connect to it. Well, you hope if you're doing something deep and interesting that it's going to resonate with somebody. Well, I think it generally does. I mean, the pictures sell. But I think then you you can you can uh, motivate people to 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 participate not just as buyers of merchandise. Then there's some kind of potential for a community. It's, just, it's the connection between the artists and the public. I think is a little our group of artists hasn't really figured out a way to connect to the public, partially because if we've had a lot of trouble identifying what it is that we think we're doing. I think we've sort of, like I was, we have a little bit of going down road, false, you know, false trails. There's a public perception issue too, I think, with this kind of art, like you were saying, I think people, when they think of it, they think, oh, isn't that a thousand years old? Yeah. What, what, you know, people still do that? But that's kind of good. It's like, you know, I think it relates very much to the sort of artisanal movement. People like, oh my God, this guy, my cousin, you got to meet him. He went to Japan and he learned to make samurai swords. And he, you know, there's still, there's one guy and he knows how to do it. And he folds the steel, you know, 600 times. And that's the kind, there's a glamour to that. And if you were to say, oh, that's so old fashioned. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very romantic. Right. And I think that's the way to sell this. He's like, wow, you mean you're doing, this is unbelievable. You're, you, so, and I think it's a little bit of, it's like in any, argument if you accept the premise of the person you're arguing with before you've thought about it oh that's so old-fashioned no it's not it's like, <laughs> well then you're screwed because it is old-fashioned i mean painting with oil paints is, yeah right. i mean so look maybe that's not why you do it or maybe it is but you know i, I think that what you point out jay is 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 really key and you, i think you want to like you need to go with that say here's the premise which is that it's this ancient thing maybe it died a thousand years ago and i mean think about like how when, I mean, of course, this is for little kids, but when you're, you know, when Obi-Wan Kenobi is describing, you know, how it's ancient, it's, a, what is he, you know, it's a more civilized. Or more civilized time. Yeah, 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 right. And people, that's not something that people don't think about or want. For, uh, for me, I want to thank you for coming over here I, hanging. Yeah. I want to me too you. I wanted to thank you too <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to thank you first but Tony he just I, I he jumped in there I also want to thank you about just um, uh, continuously influencing my work and just you know a big part of our community and, and definitely I don't think either one of us would be artists right now if not for you I'd still be an artist come on I wouldn't be. <laughs> or, hey, you. hey, thanks for having me. So nice. And, and uh, you know, I just, you, anytime you want somebody to just blast. <laughs> One last question. Uh, what's the favorite painting? What would you have to say is just the, no. or the painting that just changed your life? Oh. It's, you know. It's you know the one that pops in my head? I don't know why. I wouldn't say this tomorrow. Go it, but the yeah. thing that popped in my head is the uh, uh, painting by Rembrandt of his girlfriend, like with a, with her, Walking, like dipping her legs in the water. Oh yeah, oh, I yeah. love that painting. Why? 
What, what, what? I don't know. She's just lifting her skirt up, just so. Her reflection in the water. You can. I love that. Anyway, I'll say another painting tomorrow. So. <laughs> well, thank you, you guys, so much. So, it was so really fun. fun. Yeah. You are welcome back. Right. Any open right. invite yeah. anytime. Okay. I'll be all just, just show up blah, blah, to the blah, point where we're like, "Great, taking over the podcast." Anyway, it was good. It was good. Thanks. It was really fun. Yeah. See you guys.